Welcome to the Melissa Rx Scripts Podcast, the show that brings you lively conversations with leaders, colleagues, and friends in healthcare, pharmacy, and beyond. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining me for the Melissa Rx Scripts Podcast. I'm Melissa Muir Corrigan, and I'll be your host. This is episode nine of the Melissa Rx Scripts podcast, and thanks for listening. We're recording this episode during unprecedented times, a pandemic. Please join me in gratitude and thanks for the frontline healthcare workers, which includes pharmacists, student pharmacists, and pharmacy technicians. I also really appreciate the doctors, nurses, and other essential workers that are working tirelessly every day. Thank you so much. Now, on today's podcast, I'll be talking with Brianne Bakken, Bree, as she's affectionately called, and I are going to be discussing many things, including her experiences as a member of the Midwest Pharmacy Workforce Research Consortium. I'll give you a bit of an introduction to Bree, and then let her tell you a little bit about herself, her career, and her many adventures in life. Brianne Bakken is the assistant professor in the Department of Clinical Sciences at the Medical College of Wisconsin School of Pharmacy in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And I was fortunate to visit Bree at the Medical College of Wisconsin last fall. She also has an administrative practice site, Eldon's Hospital, Wisconsin, working on strategic projects related to operations, technology, patient medication safety, and education. Bree is passionate about supporting women in pharmacy and women in leadership and serves on several committees that support these important initiatives. Bree, thanks for being here with me today. Thank you, Melissa. You're welcome. Before we get into your career experiences, can you tell me a little bit about your background, where you grew up? And you know, now that you're living in Wisconsin, what's your favorite snack from Wisconsin? All right. Well, again, thank you, Melissa. It's truly an honor to be on your podcast um, and to connect with you today. Um, Let's see, so where to start? So I grew up on a farm in Northwest Iowa, a little small town called Otteson uh, is kind of in my postal code, I guess you would say. Uh, my dad and my stepmom still live on that very same farm, and it's definitely one of my favorite places to return to. For those that have grown up in a rural state or in a rural part of the country, it's just, it seems like everything seems to slow down. It's very peaceful, very beautiful. Um, so for me, that's one of my places to go and, and relax and kind of recharge. So I'm very fortunate to have grown up in that environment, and I think it's taught me a lot, uh, for sure. As far as my family, uh, I like to joke that I have a very large and somewhat non-traditional family, but I honestly would not have it any other way. So whenever there's an icebreaker or a fun fact at a meeting, I usually like to throw out that my fun fact is that I am the oldest, the youngest, the middle, and only child, and I have six siblings. Ooh, tell me more. Yeah, so usually everyone kind of like scratches their head like, I don't know if the math really works out on that. So how that works, uh, my mom was married uh, previously. And so I have three older half siblings. They're quite a bit older. They're all married and have kids. So I have uh, 10 lovely nieces and nephews. Uh, So for my mom, I am her youngest. So my parents, they got married and I'm the only one that they actually had together. So between my parents, I'm an only child. My parents got divorced and my dad then remarried. 
And so on the other side, I have three uh, younger half and step siblings. So for my dad, I'm the oldest. So youngest for my mom, oldest for my dad, but I'm actually uh, an only child and I fall kind of in the middle of these other six siblings. So it's, I kind of like to joke that I have all the, all the birth order syndromes kind of rolled up into one. That is so cool. I love hearing that. And so you've been in Wisconsin a couple years now. What have you determined is your favorite snack or beverage from Wisconsin? I would have to say my favorite thing are the fried cheese curds from Lakefront Brewery. Uh, if you haven't ever been there, anyone coming to Milwaukee, you have to go. They'll change your life. They are hands down the best cheese curds I've ever had. Oh, I like that. I am a big fan of the cheese curds and um, depending on where you're going. And I will share with you that I echo your support that Wisconsin does have amazing cheese curds. I mean, we have them here in Iowa, but I think the Wisconsin ones are even better for sure, for sure. So why don't you tell me a little bit more about um, how you got to where you are today and some of your influencers, both personal and professional. It could be family, mentors, teachers. Absolutely. Well, of course, I would have to say I wouldn't be where I am without the love and support of my family and, of course, my parents. As I alluded to in my earlier story, I have a, a large non-traditional family, so I have both two amazing parents and then two equally amazing step-parents, so kind of double the fun and double the advice and people that are there to support you, and they have been really tremendous. My parents and my step-parents are really some of the most hardworking people that I know. And they certainly have taught me and ingrained that skill in me, which is a helpful skill and, and tool to have. And I think they, they really are people that I turn to for so, so much advice, whether it's calling my dad to talk about car troubles or how to figure out something. Um, and now as a first time home, homeowner, I'm calling my mom all the time. How do you fix that? Or how do you, how do you change the filter in your heating unit? Just constantly asking them all kinds of things, whether it's life advice or or professional. And I really feel blessed when I think about my professional life. I've really had so many amazing mentors and colleagues and teachers. And just as a profession, there's been so many people that have imparted their mentorship and wisdom and invested in me that, you know, it's really a phenomenal thing to, to be a part of and to have those people in your life. When I was um, thinking about this in, in preparation for our conversation today, I actually was reminded, I went to the University of Iowa College of Pharmacy had an alumni event when I was a student. And they invited some students to attend, myself being one. And that year they handed out the Genesis Board Award to Kelly Brock. And I distinctly remember in her speech, her saying that she got to where she was because she stood on the shoulders of giants. And at the time I thought, gosh, that's, that's kind of an interesting statement and it's really kind of stuck with me. And I think about that even more so now when I think about all of the, you know, if you want to quote giants in our profession and, and even locally at Iowa, the amazing people that we have in our profession and, and their willingness to help other people, to give back, to mentor others. And I think that that now really rings true for me when I think about all the amazing people that I've met, the mentors. Randy McDonough, Tom Temple, Mike Brownlee. I mean, there are so many out there that have, I think, had a hand in getting me to where I am. And, the, and their willingness to be able to do that, to give back and support other people is, is really just phenomenal. Well, I really appreciate that you shared when we started about your family. And, you know, I think what we're kind of hearing in our country now is that the traditional family is a non-traditional family. And so, you know, the siblings that you described and the parents and step-parents, 
and how families evolve is, is I think really common in our world and in our country. And I also share with you some of those mentors that you described. And I think about, I think you and I met at a um, white coat ceremony. I was trying to, I was, as we were preparing for today's interview, I was thinking about that. And I was so impressed when I first met you related to your curiosity and your drive. And I just kind of knew you were one to watch. And so, you know, I have really enjoyed getting to know you the last few years and working much more closely with you and I'm excited that we're talking today. Well, thank you, Melissa. And it has, it's been a pleasure to get to know you and, and serving on the Zeta Leadership Planning Committee has really allowed me to meet so many other great people and really get to know you and, and others on that group better, which has been absolutely delightful. And it's been a wonderful thing to be a part of. And again, it just gets at the importance of networking and, and building that network of people that you know and connect with. And then also having those really great mentors. When I think about my professional life, it, it really feels like just a, a series of connections and, and all of those connections lead you to, to where you are. So there's so many people that the culmination of those connections and those experiences with those individuals have really led me to where I am. You know, I think we touched on that you and I are both involved with the Zeta Cooper Leadership Symposium, and for sure, you're right that there are so many connections and, and how that comes together. And I know in the last couple of years, we've had you as a leader for our breakout sessions. So can you talk a little bit about, you know, your involvement with Zeta Cooper and what that was like? And then I think another thing that you did that I was super proud of and has had a, a broad impact related to Zeta Cooper and helping people to stand on the shoulders of others is you felt it was important to bring students to Zeta Cooper from MCW. And so, you know, we were really pleased as it grew to have people from other states, from other schools of pharmacy in other states participating. So tell me a little bit more about all of that. Absolutely. So I got involved with Zeta when I was actually still a resident. And I think that was when you were first pulling together this group. And I was really excited to be involved in. And again, I think it, it speaks to what's been ingrained in me growing up in pharmacy and in Iowa is the importance of giving back. And so I felt like this was one of those first opportunities for me to stay involved in the college and try to give back and help the students that are there. So serving on the committee, it, it really was the first thing that kind of opened my eyes to gender equity and, the, and that importance of mentoring other young female pharmacists and future leaders. And I think that that really ignited a spark. And I think when we talk about some of the research I'm doing with the Midwest Pharmacy Workforce Research Consortium, that, that really is what led me to that group and getting involved because I wanted to better study gender equity in pharmacy and so many other things related to leadership. So beyond getting involved in the committee, I had an opportunity to be a part of several breakout sessions. And those sessions, I think for me, it it challenged me to think about when I was a student, what, what do I wish I knew at that point in time? Or what helped me get through as a student to become a resident and to move on in professional life? And how do you impart those things in our current group of students and empower them to become leaders in whatever area they, they end up going down? So the, the sessions that I was able to be a part of included one on authenticity and trying to find who you are and, and channel that into what you're doing as a leader and as a pharmacist. And we also talk a lot about taking risks, calculated risks, of course, but being willing to put yourself out there and either ask for help or ask to be a part of things, to volunteer. And I think those are really valuable words that were given to me that have really helped me get more involved and, and take on more things. 
Yeah, you know, it's so interesting. There's kind of a fun story about our work together on the Zeta Symposium the last couple of years. I remember reviewing your presentation from your breakout sessions, the one that you had done and that Nikki had done, and I was super impressed. And I thought to myself, we need to lift this work up and make sure that it goes even further. And then we started planning the next year's session and we were on a planning call. And I don't know, I just had this like aha moment where you were talking about something and I turned and I said, oh, Bree and Nikki, would you two be interested in helping us to plan this year's set of breakout sessions? And would you help like be a leader on it and help us come up with ideas and speakers and all of that? And to the letter, both you and Nikki immediately said yes. And it was kind of funny because in the past, what I normally would have done is asked you in advance, you know, done an offline conversation and actually checked in with others to see if they felt that that was the right thing to do. But I also think as we've talked, the idea of mentoring and giving people opportunities and you two immediately said yes and were just outstanding and brought such interesting ideas and you know new people for us to consider. So you know, a takeaway I hope for our listeners is sometimes you need to do something like in the moment when your gut tells you it's the right time. So what was that like when you and Nikki worked together on planning those sessions? So that experience, similar to what I described in, in being on the committee itself and getting to know other people and, and getting to know them better, it was a great opportunity for me to work with Nikki Brogdon, um, who was someone I've known and admired but really hadn't worked with. And so getting to know her and working alongside her, I think she has such wonderful ideas and is so insightful and thoughtful that I think the two of us together, we really had a good time in putting together our materials and thinking about what we wanted to talk about. And it, you know, it just was very organic and natural as bouncing ideas off each other and kind of sharing stories. And, and that really is what I think came together in our presentation. It was much more a sharing of stories and experiences and then kind of the key takeaways from those. And I think that allowed the students to connect with that and kind of put those stories into their own perspective and how that might relate. But it was a wonderful experience to be a part of. And it was a great opportunity for me to invite some young female leaders from my school of pharmacy where I am and, and inviting them to, to come along was, was really fantastic. And I hope that that is something we continue to see grow with Zeta, that more students from other areas are, are coming and can be a part of this. And, and again, it gets at that, that importance of networking and getting to meet other people. So I think it's amazing what you're doing and growing Zeta and it's got so much potential. I can't wait to see what, what happens next. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah, I agree with you. And, you know, when we talk about sharing stories and when I opened the podcast, I talked about that we're living in really challenging times. I did want to make sure that as you and I were talking that I checked in and said, how are you doing and how is the MCW community doing? And my sense is that you've moved to online education. So can you tell me a little bit more about kind of what's going on and how your world has shifted in the last few weeks? Absolutely. So Tomorrow actually marks uh, three weeks of working remotely for me. Um, so our students have been on a two-week spring break, or a, I guess you would call it a spring break for the last two weeks. So they're actually just starting classes back today. So we're, we're in the very early stages of our offering our curriculum online. So I think we have a really good structure in place. We've been leveraging technology in our classrooms already. So I think it was, um, don't want to oversimplify in saying it was somewhat easy for us to use that technology and convert things uh, to a virtual setup. 
but we're, we're going to see how it goes. Today will be day one for the students, and I, I feel confident that even if we do have some hiccups and glitches, we'll, we'll roll the punches and we'll make it work. And I think one of the big things here, I, and I just reached out and talked to my uh, young mentees in the College of Pharmacy, and one of the things that I talked to them about was, you know, this is new for everyone. It's, it's going to be new for the students, and they've got unique stresses and challenges but it's equally you know, stressful and new for faculty and for those that are in the workforce as well. So we're all going through this together and I think we have to be humble and patient and, and just realize that everyone's working their best to get through it. So I think for me, um, my first lecture will be next week. So I'll be teaching pharmacy law remotely, which um, I think I'm kind of weird in that I, I love pharmacy law. So how do you share that and, and get people excited about it virtually? We'll see how it goes. Uh, yeah. So I've, I've got a kind of taking a new approach and we're going to be doing a, a recorded video for them to watch and, and do in advance. And then during the lecture, we're going to be playing some trivia games. So kind of quizzing them on the law that they should have learned. So we'll see how that goes over. Again, we're trial by fire. We'll, we'll figure it out. You know, I love that perspective and also that we're all in this together and that we're all doing something new. You know, as we um, got on the call this morning and started working on the, the podcast process, I shared with you that for the first time I'm recording in my closet at my house, you know, this work from home has kind of changed the way we're set up. And I listened to a podcast last week where Brene Brown launched a podcast in the last few weeks, and she was recording in her son's closet, and that had not been her original plan. So, you know, I think this idea of we're resilient, you know, we're going to figure it out, assume good intent. Let's just try to do our best getting through it. And, you know, also, I think there's some laughs through this because, you know, we, we've seen some of those videos of a little five-year-old running through a Zoom session or, and it's these little moments. So that's interesting about the pharmacy law. I am one person too that does think that's interesting. So I, I, I'm sure you can make it super engaging for your students. That'll be cool. I will certainly give it my best. Yeah. Well, good. So as we started, I talked about you have an interesting role that you serve on the Midwest Pharmacy Workforce Research Consortium, and that's a group that produces the National Pharmacist Workforce Survey. And I was super excited, you know, at APHA 2020, which was supposed to be just a little while ago, in Washington, D.C., they were going to release the report and there was going to be some sessions and things like that. So that didn't happen, but the data is getting out there and people are talking about it. So can you tell me a little bit more about how you got involved in this research and what some of your research interests are? I mean, I think it's just a fascinating topic, and I think there's many things that our listeners will be interested in what you learned. Absolutely. So if you don't mind, I'm going to tell a short story about how I got involved in this group. And again, it, it relates back to the importance of networking and, and having those connections. And, and again, how I feel like my life has been a series of those connections within pharmacy. So I got my start in the pharmacy world working at a, an independent pharmacy in Iowa City called Towncrest Pharmacy. And I worked alongside Randy McDonough, who's an amazing thought leader and innovator in the community pharmacy space, and in, I would say in pharmacy in general. So he was one of, one of my first mentors and, and colleagues and people that I worked with. And to this day is one of my favorite people to sit and chat with for hours on end about all kinds of different things. So working with Randy, um, I worked with him during my undergrad and then during pharmacy school. And while working with him, I, I had this interest in wanting to do research and learn more about it. So I reached out to Randy and said, hey, if I wanted to get involved in research, do you know anyone or how would I go about doing that? And he connected me to Bill Doucette, who's a faculty member and professor at the University of Iowa College of Pharmacy. 
So I reached out to Bill and just kind of volunteered and said, you know, I want to get some experience. Do you have any projects I can work on? So Randy kind of helped shuttle me that direction. And, and I was able to work with Bill and one of his graduate students on a project. And kind of fast forward, I ended up doing a residency and, you know, never really thought that I would end up going into academia. And here we are. Uh, life takes its own path. So once I got myself established here at MCW, I wanted to start thinking about what my area of research was going to be. And after being in Zeta, I had this really strong interest in looking at gender equity and, and overall just equity in pharmacy. And also having done the two-year health system pharmacy administration residency, really focused and interest on leadership and management. So I kind of wanted to combine those two things and look at female leaders in the profession, how they got there, what influenced them, what are the barriers, all, so many different questions related to that. And as I started looking through the literature to see what was out there, I came across the National Pharmacists Workforce Survey. And as I was reading through it, there was some really great data in there. And one of the pieces of data that I read is in their 2014 report, it said that in 2014, the proportion of females in management positions was greater than males for the very first time since they had been doing the survey in 2000. And I just found that fascinating, but I had, it also brought so many more questions for me as a researcher. What level of management are they in? What practice area of pharmacy are they in? And again, all those other questions. So I, I wanted to see who the authors were, and lo and behold, it's the Midwest Pharmacy Workforce Research Consortium, which included faculty from the University of Wisconsin, I'm obviously in Wisconsin, uh, the University of Minnesota, and the University of Iowa. And as my luck would have it, the faculty member from Iowa was who else but Bill Doucette. So oh my gosh. I know, right? It's such a small world, and, and we hear that in pharmacy all the time, and it, it continues to be true. So I reached out to Bill and, you know, hadn't talked to him in a little while, but reached out and asked if we could set up a call to chat about his work in the workforce survey. And we had a great conversation. And essentially my, my initial ask or, or request was going to, to be if they would share their data with me so that I could do some additional analysis of, their, of the data that they'd already collected. And then as the call, you know, developed and we continued chatting, I was like, you know, maybe I'll just throw it out there. I'm like, Bill, do you need any help? I would love to be involved in this project uh, when you guys do your next survey. And he said, you know, as luck would have it, we're getting ready to do the 2019 survey and we could use some help. So it was like, wow, that was easy. I didn't expect that. You know, you know, what's so interesting about that, Bree, is that you being a researcher on that project was probably a bigger dream than you could even see when you first started thinking of it. And just the connections that you had and that you were open to it. And then when he said that, I mean, that's just such a cool way that that came together. Absolutely. And it, it has been an amazing project to be a part of um, more globally. Just the amazing people that are on this group, I feel like I learned something every time we have a call. When we were creating the survey, when we're analyzing the data, and it's, you know, they're such an amazing group of people and I've learned so much from them and it's been fun to get to know them personally as well. Um, and now we're all kind of breaking off and working on individual projects related to our workforce findings, but also just other projects as well. So it, it's been an amazing experience and I'm excited to continue working with this group um, and especially on some of the upcoming projects that we have as well. 
That's really neat. And, you know, when you opened and talked about your connection with Towncrest Pharmacy in episode two, when I interviewed Susan Winkler, her early roots at University of Iowa go back to Towncrest Pharmacy with, really? Ber with Bernie, Bernie Kramer. Yes. And, and Bernie was actually one of the first people I worked with as well. Yeah. So, I mean, and then, and then Randy, you know, down the road, but you just see the small world connections. And, you know, I think a big takeaway for students and for residents to share is that when people say stay in touch or if there's ever anything I can do to help. I mean, that was something that earlier in my career, I remember when I was out in DC for different meetings and people would say that I thought, do they really mean that? Especially I think being part of the Iowa pharmacy family and then the opportunities that we get to involved with and the people we get to know that that really does, they mean it and it matters and it makes such a difference down the road. Absolutely. And it's funny that you bring up uh, Bernie Kramer's at Towncrest as well. So when I first started working at Towncrest, they had two different locations. And so I worked at the location with Bernie and it was a fantastic experience. And he has been somebody that's been also extremely influential in my journey. And I distinctly remember a few things from working with Bernie. Number one, when I was in the dorms, I was still living in the dorms and I volunteered to work over Christmas break, but I had nowhere to stay. So Bernie, whenever I would work at Towncrest, would let me stay with them at their house. So I stayed with him and his wife. So talk about just giving back and being, you know, so supportive and, and open to the students. It was an amazing experience. And, and I actually have Bernie to thank. He was one of the first people that uh, mentioned to me that he thought I would be really great in hospital pharmacy administration. And I had no idea what that was at the time. And I, I'm sure I probably got a good chuckle and was like, oh, Bernie, you know, you don't know what you're talking about. I'm going to own my own pharmacy. And it's funny how that he really was one of those people that kind of just dropped that little nugget and it ended up, you know, that ended up being where I ended up going. So, so again, so many connections and the, the wisdom from the people in your life and, and how that really impacts your, your journey. Yeah, I think dropping the nugget and opening your mind, because oftentimes mentors or people you're working with can see things in you that you can't see yourself or you just haven't been exposed to. So, and then also the opening their home for you. I mean, I think that's another challenge that we need to help figure out for students is sometimes like, what are the logistics around some of these pieces? So, you know, when you were talking about the survey, um, you touched on some of the data from 2014 related to the, the increase in the number of women that were in management roles. So tell me some of the things that you learned in 2019, because I'm sure there's been some shifts and some new things that are happening from the, that were from 2014. Absolutely. So I, as I alluded to, looking at the 2014 report, the area that really struck me was looking at how they classified management or staff. So whether you were consider yourself in some sort of management role versus a staff pharmacist. And again, that, that kind of opened up a whole series of questions for me in what is management and, and what are all, I think there's a huge layer of different levels of management. Are you a manager, assistant manager, all the way through a chief pharmacy officer or an owner or an executive? So one of my questions and things that I wanted to expand in our survey instrument in 2018 was getting at some of that level of detail. So what level of management are people in? And then being able to dissect that further and looking at male versus female leaders in management. So we added that criteria, which really allowed us to look at things differently. Unfortunately, we don't have that data from previous surveys, but we will have it moving forward so we can continue to look at that and monitor that over time. That's great. 
So one of the things we found, and, and unfortunately the number of our respondents, it's still somewhat small, so we had to group some of these together, but we looked at the levels of management. And the first level is the level of manager or assistant manager. And this is the area where there was actually predominantly more women than men. So there were 62.5% women compared to men. When we looked at some of the higher areas in pharmacy, it gets a little bit more complex and I've still got some additional digging to do here. But the other level we looked at was the level of chief pharmacy officer, director, and assistant director, which were 50.2% women. Now my bias, and again, where I need to dig into this a little bit better, is we group those three together. And I think that that number of women or that percentage might be slightly inflated because we have assistant director in there. So my theory is that there are a lot of women at that assistant director level, and it might be bringing that number up. So I'd like to look and kind of parse that back out and see chief pharmacy officer versus director versus assistant director. The, the end might be kind of small, but I still think it'll be interesting to see what that looks like. And we had a, a very similar kind of theory, or I have the same theory with the other level. We looked at the um, academia side, the level of dean and associate dean. That number is small, so that they were grouped together, and it was 55.6% women. And again, I think my theory based on other sources of data, like ACPE data, is that I think the majority of women are actually at that associate dean level. I, I don't think we've seen a, a huge number, a huge area of growth in the level of female deans. I think it's getting better, but again, I think it might be slightly inflating that category because they're combined. Yeah, I, I agree with you on that. You know, it's interesting. I think you adding these questions to the survey and then also kind of what's just happened in our society in the last couple of years. If you think about Sheryl Sandberg's work with Lean In, the catalyst data on women in leadership roles, and then the Me Too movement. I just think this, it, I'm, I'm very grateful that you were involved as a researcher and that you've had these really important research questions. And I know today we've touched on it. If people are interested in more like digging down, and I know there will be other things that are going to be released, where would they find information? So for those that want to read our final reports, they will be published very soon, and they will be on the Pharmacy Workforce Center website, which is located on the American Association of Colleges of Pharmacy, or AACP. So they'll find it on their website. Cool. And you know what we'll do is in the follow-up, once this um, podcast goes live, I'll link to that. I can link to that report. And this is another small world thing that when I was in DC leading the Pharmacy Technician Certification Board, I served on the board of directors for the Pharmacy Workforce Project. So at one point years ago, it was called the Pharmacy Manpower Project, and then it yep. evolved. But mm -hmm. the work that you all are doing, I look forward to continuing to learn more. And, you know, I just want to say thank you for it because I think it's so important and, and you know just the the pieces that we talked about this morning has just been fascinating. Well thank you and there there really is there's so much great data in there it's it's almost hard to to pull out the the most important things or the things that I want to share whenever I present this work because there is there's so much great data in there. Yeah I, th I think what I'm taking away from your passion is not only the data but just how you did it and that you had this research interest based on where you were in your career in the last several years. And then you could try to think through about how can I tap into that and what could that look like? So I think that's like a really cool thing for our 
listeners, because sometimes, you know, you have an interest, but you're like, oh, no one's doing that, or I couldn't be a part of that, and just gave us a case study of really how it happened. Yeah, and I think, you know, the other interesting thing that's been uh, wonderful to be a part of this group is, I think, as they've added some additional researchers, myself, they added uh, Matt Wittry from the University of Iowa, and I think they're starting to develop this good mixture of PhD-based researchers who have so many talents and skills and and, and background to add, and then folks like myself that are in practice and bringing together kind of, this is what I'm seeing in my practice site at Children's and some of the influences that I've had and, and kind of melding that together. I think we've made some really important changes and additions to our survey in 2019. And I think we'll continue to kind of slowly evolve and adapt our survey to make sure that it, it fits with the times, but yet it's also comparable to our previous surveys as well. I th- yeah, and I think the other thing you highlighted and a couple of our other or earlier podcast guests talked about this is diversity of thought and diversity of perspective. You, what you've just described, you brought to the table, I think some things that maybe they hadn't thought of before. Like, oh, we could add this question or we could look at it in, in this way. And I think by having different people, and you know, I think we've all found that when at PTCB, when we would put some of our committees together, you don't want everyone the same. And you know, we're kind of seeing that in our world that people bringing different perspectives, people with different backgrounds, um, different practice settings is, is really, really helpful. So that's really exciting. And I you know, appreciate the overview you've given us. And I just look forward to kind of rolling up my sleeves and getting into it more. And you know, what I was thinking as you were talking, in my leadership presentations, I like using these this kinds of data to talk about um, the different statistics. And so I look forward to drilling down and adding it into my data set. And I know that there's people across the country that'll do the same thing. Well, that's wonderful. Wonderful news to hear. And, and we do hope that that's how this data is used to help support other initiatives or it gives other people ideas for where they want to research um, based on our findings as well. Yeah, that's cool. It's not, what I think is really great is it's not going to just be a research report that's done and then sits on a shelf or, you know, on someone's computer, you know, and it's like, okay, we did this. It's like, let's bring it to life. And what can we do next? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I think there's some really great findings in there. I mean, all over the place, but uh, particularly in my area of focus in the area of leadership and management, uh, we, you know, we went one step further and asked, what are the barriers and attractors for leadership? And, and this was some work that I had mimicked off of work that Sarah White had done in the health system pharmacy world more than seven years ago. And so it's almost a little bit of a follow-up to her study as well and looking at those levels of what, what attracts someone to leadership or what, what maybe makes someone not want to pursue it. And I think that data is really interesting and, and talking about actionable data, that's information that we can take and say, all right, it looks like women are less interested or maybe more worried or they perceive this as a barrier. How do we mentor those young female pharmacists and show them that this is something they can do and kind of give them that, that nugget that we talked about earlier and that moves them forward. So I'm hoping that the, the data in that instance in particular and, and throughout is stuff that people can make actionable. I love that actionable data. And also, I think it's important when we talk about leadership to talk about barriers, you know, that it may be that someone has the desire or the passion, but if there are barriers in place, and we know for sure, there can be real world challenges. And so, yeah, I think that's another one that I will really look forward to digging into and then sharing with others in the the students and the residents that I mentor, and then getting that out there more in the world. So to shift gears just a little bit, as we as you closed out 2019, 
I think you had a milestone birthday. So tell me a little bit about what you did to celebrate. And I think travel is important in your life. So talk to me a little bit more about that. Yes, I absolutely love to travel. So I kind of got the travel bug, I would say, at the end of residency. What really, really kicked it off for me is I had planned to take a trip after residency before starting my first job. And during that trip, I ended up being myself, my mom, and my two older sisters. And talking about an, an amazing trip. So we went to Europe. Um, we went to Dublin, London, Paris, Nice, and Venice. Uh, Ooh, we what an itinerary. For, oh, we were gone for about two weeks, and it was absolutely amazing all around. And after that, I just I had the bug. I wanted to go back. I wanted to travel and see the world. For me, I, I genuinely have a curiosity about all things, new people, new places, new food, new culture. Um, so I try to travel as much as I can. So after that trip, my mom and I had decided, I think it kind of sparked the travel bug in her too. So we had decided that we were going to travel somewhere, meet, meet each other for my birthday and kind of celebrate together. So this last year, I guess in 2018, we went to Colorado and went skiing, which was so fun. We had an amazing time. And when we started thinking about the milestone birthday and, you know, being in Colorado, we were like, maybe next year we should go somewhere warm. So we decided that we were going to go to Hawaii. So my mom and I, we left the ASHP mid-year meeting, which this year was in Las Vegas. We met in Arizona and then we flew to Hawaii together. And given that it was a big birthday, I wanted to knock some things off my bucket list and skydiving had been on my bucket list for quite a long time. So why not kill two birds with one stone? And I had heard skydiving in Hawaii is one of the most beautiful places to do it. So I went skydiving and it was, oh my gosh, it's hard to describe. It was truly one of the most amazing life experiences. I, I would highly recommend it to anyone who's willing to give it a try. You know, I think that's so neat how you talked about first traveling with your family and you've picked these adventures with your mom. And, you know, for those of us who endure long Midwest winters, I can for sure understand why you could be like, okay, maybe the next birthday we'll go somewhere warm, you know, that, that has a beach. And then, you know, when you picked Hawaii, you were already heading west with the mid-year. So that was so smart too, to go from Vegas and then head out there. So such a cool thing and such a big adventure. And, you know, I can't wait to, I think you, I'll get a picture of you from that and then we'll share that with our listeners. Yes, absolutely. Um, I, they took some really, really amazing photos. So I'll be sure to send you some, just the most beautiful, beautiful experience ever. I think sometimes I look at the pictures and I'm like, gosh, did I really do that? Was I really there? But yeah, just so amazingly beautiful. Well, and you know, I think it's interesting the mid-year really wasn't that long ago, and you probably, but it probably for all of us feels like a lifetime ago. So, you know, what is kind of interesting about that is to have that memory in place. You know, we did some fun things over the holidays too, did a trip and saw some friends and had some really special moments. And, you know, now as we've been more homebodies for all of us the last several weeks, it's it just makes you grateful that you've had those experiences and the, those adventures. Absolutely. I would definitely second that. Well, that's good. So as we're wrapping up, you know, while I have you, is there one prescription or life lesson you'd like to share with others or comment on in the spirit of Melissa Rx scripts? So when I think about, you know, the, the wisdom and it's, it's really hard to narrow in on, on one, one kind of nugget or one piece of wisdom that's really stuck with. But I think the one kind of prescription or, or life lesson that I would leave is, 
is stay curious. I think if you approach life, whether it's personally or professionally with curiosity, it, it really will take you far. And I think for me, that's what has made networking and, and seeking out mentors somewhat easy is that I, I find people, it's, it's easy to be naturally curious about people. And if you approach it with that, it's easy to talk to people and wanting to understand their life experience, what motivates them, what they're passionate about. And I think from a professional standpoint, that's, that's definitely true as well. Approaching things with a continuous curiosity, whether it's your research and continuing to ask those questions. Or for me in the health system area, when I'm trying to solve a problem, I go to the source and ask people. And, and again, try to be curious about their experience and what they're doing, why they're doing it, and how it could be better. And I think if you approach your life with curiosity, you'll, you'll always be inspired and intrigued and have plenty of things to, to do. That is so neat. And I have to say, you live that. Uh, and I experienced that with you when I attended your breakout session, you know, about authenticity. And it encouraged me to think, you know, how can I be more curious and what can I learn from some of these adventures? I don't know that I'm going to jump out of a plane, Brie. <laughs> I, I have been to Hawaii and that's on Yeah, I would love to go back. But um, the, the going out of the plane might be a little more uh, curious than <laughs> I need to, I need to be. Um, but I love that you shared that. And I really appreciate all your insights today. And I just want to say thank you. Thank you, Melissa. It's been, it's been a pleasure. So this is the Melissa Rx Grips podcast. To everyone listening, please subscribe to our show and follow me, Melissa Muir Corrigan, on social media. I want to give a special shout out to my producer, Kate Cruz, with Executive Podcast Solutions. That's making the magic happen and hope everyone has a great day. Thank you.